When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Bets, uh, an SB Nation College Top 10 podcast, everyone. Top 10. Uh, we are on Season 5, Episode 33, uh, and we are here to talk about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. I'm your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, from the plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I, I want there to be like the sneakers app kind of like um, graphic that says, got them. Only I want Isaiah Mosley's picture on it. That's what I want right now. That- that's how I'm feeling. We got them. In a very old man sort of way, I just expressed my sentiments there that are going to make every kid Woo. under the age of 25 cringe. I've reached that age, but got him. Locked it up only four years too late, but it happened. So, hey, there we go. Uh, yeah, we so, uh, also joining us because we're just we're all here for the party, uh, is everybody's favorite. Mizzou basketball Twitter account at Data Mizzou. Matt Watkins. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I was uh, just thinking to myself before we before we came on that uh, the last time I was on this pod, uh, Dennis Gates was uh, identified on Twitter as the next Mizzou basketball coach. So hopefully, a little bit less of an eventful evening during our podcast. Yeah, the last time you were on, the the news did break. That was, uh, I believe, a, a Friday night we were recording. As I, I, we were just trying to throw as many podcasts as possible in during the coaching search. Uh, I don't think we're going to get any breaking news 
while we're recording tonight. This is me knocking on wood. Um, <laughs> mainly because it does appear uh, like Dennis Gates has been hired. He's hired uh, a full staff. Uh, and he's got 12 scholarship players. Um with with the potential, I guess, of of everybody's uh, you know favorite Axel Congo impersonator, um, Mabor Majak, uh, taking up the thirteenth if they don't land another big man um, in the meantime, and outside of like you know some faint whispers of uh, Alex Chiku, it it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of movement there. So. Um, I'm thinking that we're safe for this podcast, gentlemen. Yeah, I think if it was uh, Wednesday night, what is today, June 8th at 9 o'clock, that the news would probably not be good if it was breaking at this point. So let's let's knock on wood on that. But the I guess the, the, the positive here is, and, you know, uh, Matt Harris, you already spilled the beans. We're, uh, we're probably going to focus quite a bit on the announcement uh, just the other day that uh, Gates and his staff were able to convince Isaiah Mosley, uh, the former uh, Rockbridge Bruin, um, rival school to to our, our friend you know, Matt Harris here, and uh, former Missouri State star is, is now hoping to make that transition to Missouri. How excited are we about that? I I think when was the last time you would say did that come across as sarcastic? No, I I just it, it's it's I was trying to rack my brain to think about maybe the last dominant sort of on ball kind of creator usage guy. It, it, that's a very technical term as well, gentlemen. That Missouri's had and the and the closest I think I could get is maybe Cassius Robertson, albeit like that was not planned and that was sort of a you know, a, a move out of necessity there, but probably Jordan Clarkson was the last true sort of pure score that Missouri had. So we're going on about a decade since we've had well, the programs had someone that's kind of of this ilk. Um, I actually said, uh, I, I like the comparison to Jabari Brown a little bit more, um, mainly because of Clarkson's more ball handling prowess. Um, I think, of of those two guys, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Jabari Brown his last year really kind of developed into more of just kind of a spot up guy and was able to kind of take take the ball off the dribble and and use his body and, and to get into defenders and I mean, he's just a, a high level scorer. Yeah, I I think we can you know we'll get into the particulars of what Mosley does, but I think just having a guy on the roster who can create his own offense is you know efficient to a certain degree in late clock um can shoot off the bounce or off the catch um you know i wouldn't say he's he's a bouncy athlete but he's sturdy enough to take contact on drives so you have a guy who can kind of you know give you some facsimile of three level scoring and i think the nice part is and we can get into this later on too is how he scores you know, if you watch Missouri State play, um, which we've done a little bit this week, he's not a guy who you come down and you initiate or have him initiate the offense and have him sort of flow everything and sort of act as a maestro. He can sort of get into his touches and get to his spaces 
certain spots kind of within the flow of a set or certain actions. So I think that that's, that's helpful to have because at least from what we know about and what we've seen from Dennis Gates as a head coach, you know, he's not a guy who's necessarily run heavy on ball, you know, pick and roll type of actions. He's a guy who's going to probably, you know, at least so far shown that he wants to operate with guys more off the ball as screeners and cutters. And I think you can integrate, you know, Mosley into that kind of setting, you know, pretty well. So uh, top line, you know, one, he gives Missouri something it hasn't had in a very long time. Two, I think it can, you know, interlock with this roster in some ways that that might be more readily apparent than some might think. Yeah, I when the when I guess when the news kind of started to break, um, you know, I, I had already kind of written the thing about where I sort of thought Kanza went wrong, and 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 you and I had discussed this uh, at at length about the. Uh, the, the miss that you know Mosley kind of became because he was he was there he was available. All really Mizzou had to do was basically just tell him that they wanted him and that he could commit and he he would have been a tiger. Now is his uh, you know is his growth um, what it was at Missouri State where you get a little more leeway? Um, you know he's he's probably not an all SEC level player as a sophomore. <laughs> Um, you know, but he was still a guy who, you know, from the outside looking in, you, you sort of thought kind of fit into the one thing that they were missing, which is, you know, a, a, a bigger wing capable of, of, you know, making shots from the outside. Yeah, I, I think that if I were going to look at him, his development, you know, was sort of very slow than rapid. You know, I think he was only an eight point a game scorer and then jumped to 19 and, you know, this year, the one thing that sort of stood out to me was the, I think his possession and his sort of usage rate peaked out a little bit, but really the, the, the jump shooting came around this year. Um, kind of struggled for stretches last season, especially against quality opposition this year. You know, the level of shooting, you know, I think he was something like around 42% or off the dribble, 44% off the catch. I mean, his effective field goal percentage in both cases is like north of 56%. The jumper came online a little bit there. You know, he'd always been sort of a guy who's kind of a crafty driver and able to sort of create some space for himself. But once the jumper really locked in, you saw his offensive efficiency really spike up quite a bit. If that holds, you know, then I think it really, really sort of opens up things for him to where, you know, we, we'll talk about this probably a little bit more, um, to where you can maybe flex him off the ball as a floor spacer and you can fit him into some stuff where maybe you're running some more pin down stuff into like handoffs for him, or maybe he's getting some reversals and attacking, you know, a lot of what Missouri state did sometimes if they got into binds where the offense was bogging, they'd just throw him the ball and say, save us. You know, I, I think the jump shooting here and the supporting cast around him will, you know, sort of ease some of the the onerous possessions that he has where he's got to try and drag Missouri State, you know, to some competency. But, and and I say that, you know, not snidely. You know, I don't think I can after watching what Missouri put on the floor offensively last year. But <laughs> th- there are facets of his game that I like. I'm interested to see how much his offensive usage declines or stays the same. Um, I think that that's the one thing 
that's sort of interesting is these guys, usually these types of players, you know, are coming into programs that are far better than where they were and their usage just gets chopped, you know, practically in half. Um, that's not going to happen here. Mosley's coming to a program that was worse off, you know, at least as far as adjusted efficiency than where he was and in the middle of a roster overhaul. So, you know, if Mosley got 20, 21% usage next year, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked. The question is just what does that usage look like and what do those possessions look like? Yeah, I think that's a, that's kind of a good point. I was listening to an interview with, of Coach Gates. This was probably a couple months back, um, and he was asked about his offensive philosophy and what have you, and he had mentioned that his basic premise of offense was the first 25% or so of the shot clock was to bust a down floor in transition and try and get quick looks, either on the primary break or on a secondary break, quick, good looks. And if you don't get it, pull it out and for about the middle 50% of the clock, run sets. What those sets are going to look like next year, that's that's a good question. You know, we've both uh, Matt Harris and I have taken quite a bit of a look at that. Some of our videos posted on Twitter and saw a lot of what he did running, running offense through the high post and such. And he's also, I believe, mentioned that he's looking to modernize things a little bit as he moves up a level coach gates that is but how how that breaks out um it's kind of yet to be seen but the interesting thing is that he had mentioned um in the last 25 percent of his of the shot clock his philosophy is to get his playmakers the ball um you know if the set's not producing what he what he wants it to if you're not getting a good look off of it he needs someone who can go get a bucket at the end of the shot clock and before Mosley committed, Mizzou really didn't have a guy that was capable of doing that. Um, you know, there's guys that can do it here and there, but as far as a, an ISO guy or an isolation guy or a you know, real steady pick-and-roll guy, there wasn't a real dynamic playmaker. And I think that's kind of how Mosley can fit in in this group is that, you know, for the first three quarters of the shot clock, he's, he's going to be just another cog in the wheel. But, you know, once you get down into those late clock situations, I think they're probably going to be looking at him to create some offense. So as opposed to a lot of situations at Missouri state where they'd come down and clear out a side and say, Hey, go do your thing. I don't think Mizzou is going to do that necessarily, but it may get to that point if their initial actions aren't getting what they want. So I kind of think it's a good fit in that regard. Yeah, I, I kind of thought, like, and I think I even said this in some of the pieces, like, he's really kind of a player who we haven't had on the roster for really most of, you know, Conson Martin's tenure. And, and, I mean, obviously, there were problems with Manderson's rosters as well. Uh, but just a guy who, you know, when when things are not working, that can go get you points, that can... That can basically, you know, connect your your dry spells with enough points to uh, to sort of sustain, um, you know, and not fall too too far behind. And I I think that like, you know, I think we kind of talked a little bit beforehand. You know, I mentioned on KTRS uh, that you know my comparison might be somebody like a you know Jabari Brown, who I think his last year uh, really kind of developed as a guy who's capable of attacking the rim a little bit more than just like a spot up guy. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, some of the comps to like Jordan Clarkson are, are fair is like not really, you know, 
the guy you want as a primary ball handler, but he's capable of doing it and, and making plays off the bounce. Um, so it's been a long time since Missouri has had a guy where you feel comfortable that he can get you points like late in the shot clock, uh, you know, just, just kicking the ball and, and get out of the way. I, I think I'm, I think what I'm, I'm sort of fascinated to see is kind of what the defensive end looks like. I, I think that there's, <laughs> right. there's, he wasn't asked to do a lot of defending. No, at no. State, and, was and he? The, the thing is, I, I was looking at this today. I'm working on a piece kind of about just how unique Mosley's entire move to Missouri is. And if you look at guys kind of of his ilk with his kind of efficiency and his kind of, you know, just level of offensive usage, you know, he grades out at allowing about 85 points per 100 possessions defensively. That's middle of the road. He is not an elite defender. He's not a guy who you would look at and say, okay, we're going to have him be a legit kind of two-way guy that we're going to, you know, have, you know, drive our offense and then lock down the best player on the other end of the floor. And, you know, he's, but he's solid for the most part. You know, he's, you know, his lapses to me when he's made mistakes defensively have kind of usually been in rotation or off ball stuff. Like maybe he'll lose a little bit of track of a guy relocating as a shooter and he'll have to try and, you know, make it caught ball watching. And so he's a little bit late closing out. Maybe the closeout's not really all that clean where he's chopping steps. Sometimes you might be able to back cut him a bit. Um, if he's locking and trailing, he doesn't always get skinny, you know, when the guy's turning the corner. So he's not able to kind of hang back and that puts help in a bind, but you know, on ball, you know, if he's, if, you know, if he's engaged and he's there, he's, he's pretty good. You know, he's, he, I think he can hold up defensively. Um, and sort of the nice thing about this is there are going to be other guys on the floor that I think can, can not hide him, but can compensate and, and can, sort of backstop it a little bit. So I, that was what I was heartened with. You know, I think I had, you know, read scouts by saying, you know, the defense has got to come, come a bit. And I was like, okay, you know, but then when I watched a couple of games, I, I, I was less, you know, worried or jittery after seeing that. But if he can be a good team defender and, you know, he can find a way to translate his offense. And I think you, you've obviously got, you know, a headliner for this roster. Um, what is, what do options, you know, B and C look like that that's sort of up in the air, but, I came away from the tape mostly pretty heartened about about what fit looks like on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I certainly feel a lot better about where the roster is when you have an option A than when you have, you know, a lot of guys who certainly look like they'd be fine in, you know, option B through D, you know, and I think that's sort of the, the issue with where Missouri uh, was beforehand. And, and you could kind of look up and down the roster and it's like even – Look, I'm heartened the fact they actually have ball handlers. Um, you know that that is going to mean that they're going to get more shots than uh, than turnovers. Hopefully, um, you know, like that that was very much uh, a, a clear problem for the team last year, the roster last year, and 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 Gates went out and solved that. Um, you know, but really, like you know, Sean East scored a lot in in junior college. Um, you know, but it's a that's a bit of a jump, and he was he was not exactly lighting up uh, Bradley or or UMass as uh, you know before he went to Johnny Logan. So you have to kind of wonder if that's enough scoring that's going to be able to translate. And I, I just don't think he's a guy that you're going to want to 
you know, count on now if he's option B or C in, in the offense, then I, I feel a lot better. And I think like it's the same thing even with like Kobe Brown, who everyone's going to talk about, oh, an all SEC level player, um, you know, is coming back. And the, the reality about Kobe Brown is, I mean, Kobe Brown is the only real like competent night in and night out uh, SEC player. And so his stats were were necessary because there wasn't anybody who was capable of being, I guess, that good somewhat consistently. It was the Kevin Purrier uh, situation where somebody has to be good on a bad team. Yeah, like somebody somebody is going to score the points. Like there may not be scoring a lot of the points, but somebody is going to score points. And uh, in, in a in a good situ like a good basketball team situation. I think we saw Kevin Purrier was still like an important player, but he was he was a role player, and I, I think that's one of those things you're going to see like Kobe, you're going to see uh, Sean Easton, and and if Missouri's going to be good, it's it's probably going to be a lot more, uh, you know, because Mosley was sort of able to make that transition, uh, you know, from being featured at Missouri State to being featured at Missouri uh, a lot easier. Do you both think that this makes an, this a potential? NCAA tournament roster or a Sweet 16 roster? <laughs> Just uh, that's a great question. I was <laughs> why uh, not Final Four? <laughs> I was going to talk about that uh, Kobe bit there. That um, you know, it, it's an interesting point that you know the comparison to Purdue. I think there's some validity to that um, in some ways, and then in other ways, I I'm daily reminded. Are reminded daily when I log onto my Twitter account and see my posted photo of uh, what smart defenses did to our team last year. Um, and for those of you who haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, but Kobe, I believe it was off in a baseline inbounds play, got the ball on the box. He's effectively triple teamed and has two help side defenders in the paint, all five guys in the paint with four guys on the perimeter. Um, you know, it's like... It's a four-out <laughs> offense. <laughs> you, you, you could tell teams that were that were well-educated on what we were versus the teams that weren't. And I'll tell you, go look at our schedule and see the team that beat us twice and see the teams that didn't beat us multiple times and you will get a feel for which teams I'm talking about there. Um, you know, if if you weren't guarding Kobe correctly, he could he could put a hurt on you. But if you were, there just wasn't another option. And tying that into Mosley, you know, cough, if you have my cough. <laughs> if you have one of those guys on the team, you can you can do some pretty drastic stuff. If you've got two guys on the team who can make plays and especially at the level Mosley can. Um, you know, you're just not going to be able to throw those funky defenses out there. And, you know, it's it's funny to look at, but, you know, that that's what you do. You sell out to stop option A and make options B through D beat you. And oftentimes Mizzou couldn't do that last year. So, you know, that's that's a big part of offense is making it hard to guard. And at times Mizzou was very, very, very easy to guard with ridiculous formations i mean I, you, you'll occasionally see something like that but it's it's rare it's very rare i think the one thing that i've always that i've at least thought going through the spring is and i wrote last month was i thought that what gates had done 
was do a good job of sort of identifying guys that, that sort of fit, you know, the system pretty well. And this was, I thought we were going to, you know, be in the hole. The hole was going to have to, you know, trump the sum of the parts here. It was going to have to be a case where it would be the opposite of last year, where maybe you looked at guys in a vacuum and thought, oh, God, that, that's pretty good. But as a collective, they just were a jumbled mess. This year, the pieces are, are better. I wouldn't have said before Mosley wildly better, but they just sort of interlocked in a way that made more natural sense. And now you've added a piece to that that can sort of, as we've said, you know, several times, sort of transcend the system. You know, you can get out of, like, I think the British call them automatisms or whatever. Like, you, you can get out of, you have a guy who can sort of, you know, riff and play on his own a little bit. And I think that, that that's really important to have. Um, and a guy who's sort of you know, comfortable being a dominant score, you know, having the ball in those situations matters a lot. It just feels like, you know, if there are some rickety moments with the team where you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't quite work, you know, it, there's enough talent here to where I think you can, you know, reasonably, you know, think this is a team that should you know, be in the mix for an NIT berth. And, and I think that's where I I think I was trying to lead with the question was I, I get the excitement, but this team still has some blemishes. There's still some deficiencies, but there's enough pieces that sort of fit together. And now you've got a person who can sort of thrive within the context of, you know, a system but also still can, you know, maximize autonomy when they need to. So it's, I don't know if it's quite as good as some people would, would like it to be, but it certainly seems like, you know, within the last week, you know, you, you can, you know, having some aspirations for March don't seem quite as a foolhardy as, as maybe they once did. Yeah, I think uh, you, you were kind of alluding, there was a, I, I can't remember who the Twitter account was, but I, I think I shared it to our, our channel and it was basically somebody saying that this, you know, elevates Missouri to a possible sweet 16 team. And, um, I, I, let's just, if you're anyone who's was jumping to that conclusion, I, I'm just taking a guess and I'm thinking it probably not a lot of our listeners are probably in that camp, but definitely pump the brakes on that. Um, I think what this, this has done and it's because the sweet 16 team is like a, I mean, at minimum, a top four team in the SEC. Um, like those are the kinds of teams that have like second weekend aspirations. Uh, for Missouri, look, like if this team finds a way to get to the NCAA tournament, that's a wildly successful season uh, when you consider what they were coming off of. Um, you know, and everyone, like realistically, like everyone was kind of pointing at, uh, you know, and we, we talked about this too, about, you know, Iowa State, Iowa State, Iowa State. And we're saying, well, yeah, Iowa State is the outlier uh, for teams that, that are, you know, trying to sort of create that turnaround. But also Iowa State squeaked into the NCAA tournament. Like, yes, they made the Sweet 16, but they got a favorable draw. <laughs> uh, like they, there was like an upset that allowed them to play a, like another lower seed. I think they were like an 11 seed. Yeah, Sam, uh, I actually remember that. It, that game was going on during the last time I was on the pod, to be to be honest. Oh, was um, they, it? <laughs> they, they were playing LSU, who uh, I believe was a six, who had just fired Will Wade. 
Ah, that's and right. Yeah. Then they uh, managed to draw Wisconsin, who was kind of battling an outlandish amount of close wins and lagging. Um, Johnny Davis predictive was, metrics. Was lagging too. That guy was gassed by the time March right. got here. Right. So. They, not not to take anything away from Iowa State, but uh, you know, if if Mizzou were to get into a Sweet Sixteen, and not to say that they will, but if they did, <laughs> it's probably going to look something like that. It's going to be that type of situation where you you know you pick off a team that probably shouldn't be a six, and you pick off a team that probably shouldn't have been a three. Um, you know, and that's that's not to say that Mizzou can't do that, but the other thing is that. Iowa State just put together a phenomenal, phenomenal defensive unit. Um, you know, they they had scoring, but it was their defense that was really carrying them. And that game against Wisconsin was probably one of the most beautiful, ugly games I've ever seen. That they just locked them down. You know, it was yeah, your wife's was... a Wisconsin grad, so you have to watch a lot of the the U. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I I see that a lot. And not many teams that year did that to Wisconsin, and they played. They played Houston. They played a Big Ten schedule. You know, they they played good defensive squads, and no one no one shut them down like that. The, the one thing they um, did have though so, was was a guy in Brock that's that you could see a corollary to is Isaiah Brockington because that guy I think not as efficient as Mosley is, but I think in a lot of ways served the same purpose that Mosley might be able to serve for them. You know, they had a roster that was sort of jumbled and put together. You know, Gabe Kalsher was not exactly, you know, an efficient player. He was worse. He was only like 80 points per 100 possessions. They had, you know, Tyrese Hunter, who you know put together a really good closing stretch, but, you know, was a freshman going through growing pains. And they had some other pieces that were transfers. I think they had a Washington State transfer in there as well in Kunk. But they there were stretches where they needed Isaiah Brockington to be their offense. If the if the no middle was not getting them transition buckets, we saw how brutal their offense could get when Missouri yeah, played them. It, but what they had was a guy who they could pitch the ball to in isolation, and let Brockington work. And it, to a degree, like I think I looked this up because I'm it's going in a piece that I'm writing for this week. It Isaiah Mosley was 18 percent more efficient than. Isaiah Brockington playing in isolation better and a better shooter off the bounce. So I don't know if the defense will be as elite, but they've got a player, at least, you know, an offensive threat that's comparable to, I think, what Brockington was able to do for Iowa State. They don't have a Tyrese Hunter, but I think the supporting cast might be a little bit better at Missouri. The question, you know, with this group is, will they defend at a level that I think could, could put them in that mix, but they, they've, you know, I think you can look at the roster now and sort of at least make a case for, you know, the NIT being sort of a reasonable goal right now. We'll see what they look like defensively and how the pieces match before anything else really goes together there though. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about is, is all right. So, before Isaiah Mosley, this roster still looked rough and it still looked like a team that was probably going to have some issues scoring the ball with consistency. And, and due to that, they're probably still in the bottom four or five teams in, in the league. Um, what you are kind of hoping is that, uh, you know, they're able just through, um, 
you know, like the better pieces, like we were talking about earlier, better pieces that fit together a little better, that they're able to kind of eliminate the blowout losses that I think are, are really what shelled last season um, and, and made made things turn as sour as they did is, is not so much how many losses, but how some of those losses went. Um, and so what adding a guy who is like a bonafide scorer, it, it sort of takes you out of that bottom five and puts you into that, like that middle five. Um, you know, so whether that's like, okay. And, and we've talked about this in the past, like the difference between, you know, in the SEC of being like, seven and 11 and like an 11 and seven is just a couple fortunate bounces. Um, you know, Missouri last year, what would their uh, record end up being? It was five and 13. Wasn't was it, it? Five, 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 and 13. five and 13 in conference, but they were like two games away from being seven, 11. Like there were two, two games that they, they should have won. And, and again, like, I don't necessarily know that that makes the season that much better. But this is just sort of illustrating my point that the the league is to a point where if you can get a couple games to kind of go your way, uh, then you're going from the back of that middle of the pack to the front of the middle of the pack. And that's the difference between being like barely into the NIT or out of the NIT and an NCAA tournament team. Um, so how these pieces all fit together, just if you can find a way to kind of overcome and, and go from, you know, they look to me right now, like a maybe seven, seven, eight win team in the league. Uh, if you can get to nine and nine or, or, or 10 and eight or, or 11 and seven, um, just with a few easy bounces now, all of a sudden, like you're feeling a lot better, um, about the season and, and you're probably looking at being an SLA tournament team. I think the benchmark when I looked at it a couple of years ago was most of the time 10 and eight's the cutoff for an at-large team. There have been a couple nine and nine teams, but it was one of them was A&M and A&M racked up like four or five top 50 Kim Palm wins in non-con. I think Florida may have also gotten that sort of break. So if you're going to do that, it's going to have to be kind of like the Iowa state model where you're going to have to really do a lot of work outside of conference and we don't know what the schedule is going to look like here. My presumption would be that they're going to go a little lighter <laughs> on the schedule. <laughs> a little lighter than last year, let's hope. Not the number four SOS in the country. Well, we, we, I mean, we do know that, yeah, we do know that, that Kansas and Illinois are, are definitely on there. Yeah. And that's, that's already like, you know, two stout non-conference games uh, that you have to deal with. Um. Yeah, you know, outside of that, like, yeah, we don't. I, I haven't seen them connected to any MTEs. Uh, or MTEs. Yeah, so. So yeah, I guess what I'm saying is like, if you're saying that you think they're a tournament team, as a Missouri fan, you, what you're saying is this is a team that's probably going to go ten and eight in the SEC. And if you're ten and eight in the SEC, you're probably going nine and three, nine and four in non-con. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's easy to say we're an NCAA tournament team with this roster before you really look at what getting there means you have. And, and what the rest of the SEC looks like. I mean, yeah, we, and we haven't seen the schedule yet. So that's, I'm all for optimism, but there, there are just some things that we haven't 
seen yet. Like I think I remember when I looked at the schedule last year, like really sat down and looked at it. I think I said best case was 14 wins. And what was going to dictate Kanza's future was how the, what those wins and losses looked like. They got to 12 and if they had, and I had them getting wins over UMKC and Mississippi state, if they had held on for two of those, or if they got those two, they would have been where they are. And I don't know if two more wins would have mattered last year, given what we saw in rivalry games. So a lot of, we haven't seen schedule. We haven't seen what this team looks like on the floor yet. So, um, love the optimism in June. We'll see what, what <laughs> things look like when they get to August and what happens if they, if they are, can they fill a final scholarship and who that person is? Yeah, I, I think that's a very sort of clear, um, issue as well. Like, you know, there isn't a lot of room protection. Um, you know, with, with Diara and Shaw, you have, uh, long and athletic dudes, um, you know, but both those guys have not played high major basketball. <laughs> so there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve. Um, I, you know, I think we, we believe that both those guys are going to see the floor a lot, uh, you know, but you still probably want, you know, and I, that's, there's a reason why they were going, you know, hard after Jamari and Sharp and, and wanted to add him to the roster is, is they know that they need somebody who can protect the rim. Uh, and I just like, I don't, the SEC has a lot of good bigs. You need somebody who can uh, who can saddle up. And I'm just uh, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Mabor Majak is the guy. I'm not sure, Matts, that he's the guy to fill that role. I am. <laughs> <laughs> You're a believer. F the haters. <laughs> Uh, no, I, yeah, I, it, I agree with you on that. I mean, uh, when you, when you, if you've taken, gone through the practice of sitting down and pinning out a lineup, um, you know, you, you gear it towards offense and, you know, you, you look at the guys you've got out on the floor, like, here's my best offensive five. Guess who's at the, guess who's at the big man spot again. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, same same room protector we had last year minus uh, minus Brazil, um, and that wasn't real great room protection. So that's that's not a knock on Kobe. He's just he's you know he's uh, he's a combo forward, um, and he's he's good at it. But who is the guy that is gonna alter shots at the rim? Who's the guy that's gonna grab boards um, when Kobe's tied up? You know, that that's that to me is the big question. I think you identified that pretty well because um, I, I pin out a lineup that has a the biggest guy six, eight. You know, when I look at my starting five, um, you know, how how is that going to work? Um, you know, and if you play fast, it, it could work, you know, um, but when you tip, well, you'd still have to gang right. rebound and, and it's hard. You know, it makes it hard. And you've got to be really good offensively to make it work. Um, and all the, and the gang rebound get and the gang rebound gets hard if you're doing what they're doing, which is a lot of extended wing pressure, right? Like they really switch, they get guys moving. They really sort of push out from the paint. And so they really relied a lot last on Johnson and, you know, guys going to get 50, 50 rebounds that were long, but, there were not a lot of Cleveland State guys in close proximity to the paint. So it, it'll be, there's that facet too. Sure. Well, yeah. And I, I certainly, like, I, I, 
he's shown a little bit of like a, a malleability to uh, do what needs to be done defensively. So I'm curious kind of where he starts uh, with this, this squad defensively. Uh, I, you know, I pointed out in my last piece, like they do have some, some bigger, stronger bodies down around like the basket. So like, you know, like Noah Carter uh, is not a traditional five. Kobe Brown is not a traditional five, but those guys are, are physical. Uh, they're, they're big, strong guys, big, sturdy bodies. Um, I think your sort of best case in, in that situation is you're able to kind of, you know, move guys out of the paint with, with being a little bit more physical, um, you know, but like, it's, it still would be nice to have, uh, somebody who could hang in, in the back line of the defense and, and alter shots. How many of those guys are out there on June 7? How <laughs> Alex Chiku. <sighs> If if there we, we've talked about him and there's no real like realistic reason to believe that that you know there's a connection there, but that's he's that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, it, a guy who barely played at Alabama and coming off an Achilles tear or an Achilles injury, and but he's uh, he's French and, and and so is so is Diara. Hey, and crucially, they follow each other on Twitter. <laughs> there's a connection uh, there. A kismet. It's it's a done deal. It's a done deal, man. It's done. Looking forward to people <laughs> saying that we said that Alex Jiku was the guy who was going to fill the hole on the back line. I, you know, I, I did what I normally do when there's an opening this late. I went shopping on Torvik, and it's 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 slim pickings. It is. It's real slim pickings. Um, you know, I think yeah. The the other thing I sort of mentioned. Um, is possibility that there's like a 23 uh, class 23 kid out there who, who could reclass, but I, you know, like it, while they were after, yeah, but if you're doing that, uh, you're, are you really solving the problem though? Because you're throwing in not just a freshman, but a kid who's a year younger than the other freshman in there. You're not really. Yeah. I, I mean, it kind of depends on the kid. Um, like the, the one that like just committed to uh, DePaul, uh, Garape was originally a class of 22 recruit. Um, you know, so it's not, a, not exactly like he would have been, uh, you know, like a 17 year old hitting campus. Um, you know, he was originally in that class, uh, but he's going to fall. So that's, that's a non-issue. I was just sort of throwing that out as like another possibility, but it's also like one of those things, like if that's the, the avenue you're looking at, then you're probably hoping that it's somebody that's okay with like a little bit of like developmental time. And so it's not somebody you're, you're planning on playing, uh, you know, 30 minutes a night. Uh, and I don't, I don't think you need like a, no. a big on this roster that's going to play 30 minutes a night, but I mean, having somebody who could give you 20 to 22 would be nice. Yeah. But I'm not even sure that guy is out there at least that, that we're aware of. Or, or we <laughs> is that considered a whisper? Are you hearing whispers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we could we could move on for the from the Chiku talk. Uh, I think he's the only name that I know of that that is still in the portal and could possibly uh, be an option. Um, Harris, are you holding anybody out? Uh, uh, 
after your 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 peruse through Torvik? No, no. The, I mean, there are two guys with Horizon League experience that are in the port that are in the portal still. So if you were like to say, oh man, you know, if you wanted to go after somebody that they had a an awareness of or that they kind of had some familiarity with, maybe you look there. Both those guys have pretty pedestrian like block rates. They're not and they're and they're average rebounders. But if you're looking for someone that can be a minutes eater, maybe I would go that way because at least you've seen them. You at least have a sense for who they are. But if and again, this is a hypothetical. I'm saying this very clearly. Hypothetical. Chiku is a guy who has the physical traits that the staff looks for. He had Florida State as a finalist. There's a familiarity there. So if you were looking to go get that guy, that to me would make some sense because you've at least seen the physical measurables are there. And while he hasn't played a lot and he's coming off an injury, you at least know that he was evaluated as a top end, you know, high major, you know, prospect. So you're are, it's like a top seventy five. Yeah, player. yeah, he was a top seventy five kid. So if you're so if you're rolling the dice there, you're you're you are rolling on an upside play, and there's going to be a transition there. But the other thing is, there's more service time. Like I think I'll play into you know Watkins's love of, of baseball and my sort of <laughs> knowledge of it. But if you're taking Chiku, that's his one free dance card that's his one you know get out of jail free card that he gets to use to transfer um and i think he's got maybe two to three years of eligibility left if, he, if he's a pandemic kid i think he's got four so you're getting, to be perfectly honest he only played yeah, three games because yeah, he was injured he was injured so you get a guy with four years of eligibility top 75 prospect that your staff that a guy in your staff and charlton young knows well and you know fits what you've looked for at that position. If you're going to bring that guy in and do it in year one, maybe you're not elevating the ceiling for this roster, but the floor itself is already at a pretty good spot. To me, that's a roll of a dice that's worth making. If And there's and the nice part about it is you'll have enough flexibility with, I think, what, three or four spots in 23 that you can then go backstop behind him with a prep kid with a high school prospect after that. So maybe the return isn't immediate. If a guy like Chiku, if hypothetically that guy were to come in, I like that sort of play better, even if maybe you don't reap the rewards in the near term. So that's, that would be how I would, how I would view sort of that use of a final scholarship slot. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think that's easy to agree with. Um, it's it solves a, a very big need. I think if you're able to add somebody like that, it, it probably it it should possibly be worth another you know game in the win column at least. Um, you know, just having some semblance of rim protection. So I don't yeah I don't I don't know where they go from here. Um, the steady horizon league bodies don't really excite me. I think the roster has enough of those guys. Yeah. There's, you know, pour one out for, uh, Watkins and, uh, 
Mahamagwe and Epogiddy. <laughs> Just had to go you there, didn't you? <laughs> you? Had to pour it out. <laughs> the guys. Hey, but they didn't. Hey, they did not go to play for Todd Golden, so they did not hurt you again by choosing Florida. They did. One took the G League money and one stayed in Wazoo, so you're fine. You are absolutely fine. Still have right. a reason to watch the uh, Cougs next year in late night hoops. So there's a. Hey, hey, I got my Washington State basketball hoodie. <laughs> it's time for some some uh, Pac-12 hoop, hoops after dark next year. Well, uh, I don't know where else we need to go with this. Uh, are there any other topics that we need to hit on? I mean, at this point... Um, I mean, the players are here. You know, I'm sure we, we're going to start seeing cool videos out of uh, practice and and stuff like that. But it, yeah, it's, it's that time of year where... Uh, Guys get in gyms, and everybody looks great. Everyone is getting in the best shape of their life. Everyone's really excited about the roster, and uh, all things are good. It's that time of year. They're going to play Everything fast. Just... They're uh, they're coming together as a team. Um, <laughs> chemistry's a lot better than a year ago, which might be, um, actually. Um, <laughs> um, Got to establish culture. Got to establish like, culture. What are, what are the other and a work ethic? What are the other bingo card spots here that I'm missing on the off season talk? You know, we're figuring out who we are as connectors. We're you know, you know, I, you know, we're finding the work ethic for this program, and and everyone's buying in. God, I've heard these <laughs> things way too much in my life, <laughs> but no, I. It, the last thing like, I'll say like, is this has has Gates given given us uh like a like a, a saying the way like you know all these coaches have the saying like you know Zoe's was to the finish line and like what's what's the team saying now? I don't think there is one, and I kind of like it. I kind of like that they've it, not tried to brand it yet. That they've just sort of, you know, I think that they're gonna. That was the the to the finish line thing always felt. Um, like the worst kind of marketing speak to me. It came out really, really quick and didn't feel organic. And, you know, I think, uh, at Florida state, like the thing was do something. And that came out of the football program. Like, I just think that there was (laughs) something organic. Do something. (laughs) I did not know that. That's, that's, uh, well, I mean, Uh, fair enough. You know, I don't, I don't love that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, did it have the? I, I liked it because did it have the stick figure with the stick poking poking the Florida State Seminole? <laughs> yeah, do something. Yeah, it look Willie Taggart was not a wordsmith, <laughs> but, he was, but he invoked feeling. So, you know, we'll see what they do here. But it's I don't know what else you could say. But like a week ago, you were looking at this roster and going. Ugh, you kind of got to squint to maybe see 14 or 15 wins. And, you know, at this point, I don't know if, how much you can complain, you know, <laughs> land the best, you know, arguably the best score in the portal the first week of June. Yeah. It seems like more than adequate, um, you know, good luck and good fortune at this point. So, and it's uh, great that a Como kid gets to come home, even if he is a Bruin. <laughs> Even if <laughs> uh, I I was 
waiting the entire <laughs> podcast for you to, to, to make a comment about him going to Rockbridge. Um, Harris is a, is, is a cube for anyone that didn't know that already. Um, it's been a rough decade for the cubes. <laughs> Watkins, do you want to tell anybody about your spider traps before we get out of here? They're working. <laughs> Man, I, I, I've, put some thought into this. I've been taking notes. I've got schematics. Oh man, it's <laughs> these spiders didn't know what hit them. <laughs> I got them moving them around. Was it like the uh, home alone schematic? Did you like roll it out and then like put it down with toys and then like just mark? I'd say it's, I'd it say it's more like Charlie from uh, always sunny in Philadelphia. That's Charlie, oh, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's probably more, more what my, uh, what my board looks like, but, uh, no, they're, uh, they're, they're working. I've got, you know, they're, they're populated. Um, that's what people come to the pod for <laughs> basketball talking <laughs> and pest maintenance and pest control. <laughs> There's some overlap, you know, <laughs> we're, uh, we're, if nothing, if not Renaissance men on this podcast, uh, now Sam's going to talk about it. Like, um, Bellini or something for the next 15 minutes just to make sure we get oh, over the hour. A what? I don't know. Some sort of fancy drink. I thought a Bellini was a drink. I have no clue. I think I've heard it somewhere before. I just pour bourbon. Like out. the the, the, the peach slushy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... Bellinis aren't really up my alley. Um, so, alright, let's get out of here. Um, everybody thank you for tuning in uh, if you do like this podcast you should probably make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast whether it's the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store uh, if you're subscribed you'll also get episodes before the box score being directly into your phone you can listen to Nate and DK just like all there is to know about Mizzou football uh, you'll also probably enjoy reading everything over at the flagship rockandnation.com uh, I just published something uh, yesterday. It's Wednesday, June 8th. And uh, yeah, yesterday. And uh, our, our friend Matt Harris has something coming up soon on Isaiah Mosley. Read all about Isaiah Mosley. Uh, do the Twitter thing. Follow the best of us uh, at Data Mizzou. Um, Watkins is the best follow on Twitter, if you didn't know that. Uh, coming in second is Matthew J. Harris at Matt J. Harris 85. And then there's me, Sam Peastman, pull up the rear. Like usual. Uh, so we'll be back in a couple weeks. We'll hopefully have more to talk about by then. Until then, thanks for tuning in.